It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Brachier. We're coming at you to discuss last, or I guess two weeks ago's UFC 260. We're quickly going to go over that before previewing UFC on the American Broadcast Channel. It's a pretty exciting card coming up, man. I would say it's not like full of blockbuster names, right? But it does have a bunch of like prospects, serious prospects, a bunch of people that are going to come in with exciting fights, a bunch of high-level individuals that haven't quite necessarily made their mark. Then we've got a couple of veterans like Jim Miller, Mike Perry, Nina Ansaroff, Mackenzie Dern uh, on this card. So Again, Kevin Holland, Marvin Vittori. We've got some names. We've got some prospects. We've got some super new blood. It's a card program for broadcast TV. There's a lot of yes. uh, there's a lot of guys that throw hard straight punches on this card. Yes, and you know what? The Kevin Holland replacement against Marvin Vittori. I'd say that's about as good a replacement as it gets. Marvin Vittori uh, was actually originally scheduled to face off. I think it's a better fight. I. Uh, it's probably more well. I think that Vittori could make a Darren Till fight exciting because Vittori's going to pressure. Yeah, I think this is a more entertaining um, fight. Yeah, I would say Darren Till is arguably the bigger name, who's mm-hmm. on a bit more of a streak. But I agree that this should, on paper, be a more entertaining fight to watch. And I would also appreciate seeing some of the trash talk leading up to it. But let's quickly discuss UFC 260, where Francis Ngannou did. I mean, he essentially, with his level of athleticism, with his power, with his explosiveness, the fact that he looks like a tank walking in there, he performed like a grizzled veteran man. He did literally almost everything right. Everything that he landed on Stipe, and there were probably only like 15 or 20 shots in total that landed clean and hard. It was all set up really, really well. It was all thought out. It was all something that he instinctually went to, which we didn't really get to see in him before. Uh, even when, when you think about that left head kick that he landed, right? He set it up with a southpaw cross, right? He showed him a cross. Stipe slipped across. He was able to land the head kick. Uh, the Francis Sanganu, that, that first knockdown that Francis got where he went with the right cross, then he switched, stepped, and went with a left power jab, knocked Stipe down there. And then finally, at the very end, he got him with a check hook. After Stipe, who was recently buzzed, he he kind of countered with a big right hand, actually hurt Francis a little bit. Francis was stumbling, and Stipe went in for the kill. That was a big mistake because Francis Ngannou gets his knockouts as his opponents go in for strikes. And man, did Francis look absolutely fantastic. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch at some point in the future, but this was a Francis that is an absolute frightening individual, man. A composed Francis Ngannou is terrifying, and he outcomposed the king of composure. The fact of the matter is he forced Stipe Miocic to make a mistake because he didn't make any. He gave Stipe uh, no room. He landed he landed plenty of shots on, on Stipe, who, to, to his credit, was able to roll with all of them because they hit him in a neutral position or he rolled with them. Like, he literally physically rolled, rolled with the punches. Um, but Stipe landed that that shot. It was very similar to the way that he finished Fabrizio Verdum, and he fought and he he uh, he rushed in, maybe knowing that he can only take you know so many more shots. And it was a very very foolish move. Miocic is a, sm- a smarter fighter than that, and he knew it. He knew he made a mistake, um, and he paid the price because as hard as Ngannou hits, you cannot help him with your momentum, and that's what Stipe did. And he got exactly. he got he got slept hard for it. 
Now the accumulation of those other shots, the turtle shots, which were which were big, big blows. Um, the other punches he was landing, like Ngana was certainly hurting him, but but Stipe stayed. You know, he stayed. He he had his uh, he had his wits uh, about him, <clears throat> and he defended as best that he could. And you know, he was able to land that big shot. And Francis was breathing hard halfway through the first round, mouth open. I do think that. Um, Stipe could potentially win a rematch, but I don't know that I'd pick him. And to your earlier point, what you said in our show leading up to this, uh, when when Miocic came out for, uh, went to weigh-ins on the third Cormier fight, he was really lean. I was surprised yeah. at how lean he looked, and I thought that was a, I thought that was actually going to be in in Cormier's favor. It turned out not to be the case, and he looked just as lean for this fight. And you were concerned. That coming in around two thirty, essentially, you know, a lightweight fighting a middleweight, or even worse than that, as far as weight discrepancy, as far as goes, the weight difference, as far as weight difference goes, um, you were concerned he wasn't going to be able to take Ngannou down. And the fact of the matter is, Ngannou did stuff that first takedown. Now, if Stipe came in at two fifty, uh, would that have been the case? Uh, I, I don't know. His chin certainly held up pretty well at at the weight until you know, no no one's gonna no one's gonna take that counter shot. It doesn't matter if you weigh no. three. If you don't, you weigh three hundred pounds. You're, you know, you're hitting the deck. Um, so Stipe, I don't think Stipe has anything to be ashamed about. He just like two, you know, two gun, two gunslingers, and Ngannou kept his cool. And if he continues to do that, I don't, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to pick anyone else um, in the heavyweight division to beat him. But there are some fights I'm looking forward to, uh, especially this new kind of takes his time. In Ghana, like very curious, you know, I'm sure he'll, the winner of Volkov gone, uh, gone will most certainly be in line uh, for a title shot. Um, Derek, you know, Derek Lewis seems like the fight they want to make. Uh, this John Jones situation, I think we're probably going to lose it due to, uh, due to economics. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Otherwise, in the division, they'll probably match up Rosenstrike with Blades. But I don't see either one of those guys getting in with Nganu again anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, they offered the fight to Derek Lewis, and apparently Angano said no. One because it was too short notice, and two because I'm sure he's angry. Well, yeah, he said no that. to. He said he didn't say no to Derek Lewis. Wait, wait, wait. He, he didn't say no to Derek Lewis. He said nope. no to July. He doesn't think he'd be ready. That's fair. Or June or July. He was he he was poo pooing the date, not the fight. Yeah, I get that, and, but but also like if he wants to wait out for this John Jones situation to play out, where he can be eligible for a huge payday. I wouldn't blame him there either. And, you know, I've theorized several times on this podcast about the fact that I don't think John Jones actually wants to fight Francis Ngannou. I talked about how if Francis looks really good against Stipe and gets a knockout, that John Jones will suddenly want a, a challenge for that heavyweight title again. It's hard to tell what's happening. Like, if he's asking for $50 million, is he definitely not wanting to fight Francis Ngannou? The answer is yes. Does he deserve $50 million? Probably. But... If you've been getting two to five million your entire career and you're suddenly asking for 50 million, it's probably because you either want it to be worth it to take a huge loss or because you don't think the UFC will come anywhere close to that number and you can easily say no and then go back to fighting for a couple million dollars against somebody that you can more likely beat. Um, so it, it's hard to tell. Like it, the way that Jones is speaking, you would think that maybe he does want this, but the fact that every one of his tweets talked about money 
following that fight, right? Where he talked about how he's going to fight the winner of this fight regardless. And then suddenly, Francis Ngannou looks spectacular, knocks out Stipe. Worst case scenario on paper for John uh, Jones, in my opinion. And then John Jones is talking almost exclusively about money. Why did you talk about that before? It just seems kind of odd to me. But uh, look, I, I look, I, I would pick Francis Ngannou at this point to be John Jones. I think I would actually pick the current light heavyweight champ to be John Jones as well. I think John Jones is a fraction of his former self. Maybe a motivated John Jones will go in there and look pretty good. Uh, he certainly, on paper, should have the kicking advantage over Ngannou. I don't think he'll have the wrestling advantage. I don't think he'll have the boxing advantage at all. I'm not sure that he'll get much of an opportunity to implement his ground game. So... Look, I, John Jones is a smart guy. He's either trying to price himself out of this fight so he doesn't have to do it, or he's trying to make it worth a horrifying knockout loss. Uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing that's so difficult, and Bloody Elbow published an interesting piece about, about payment breakdown and why boxing is different, because John Jones did quote you know, the Deontay Wilder money, um, right. uh, suggesting that Wilder made $30 million uh, for, the one, for the second fight against Tyson Fury. The fact is, I don't know that from a pay-per-view standpoint, you can call John Jones a superstar. Is he the is he the, the is he the most accomplished, greatest MMA fighter of the last uh, ten years? Arguably, is he as popular as even GSP? No. Is he as popular and as much of a quote needle mover as McGregor? Not even close. Um, and probably not to the level of the late, you know, mid to late career Anderson Silva around the Chael fight. So I, I think that as good as John, John Jones is, that in the context of, of the UFC business structure and the way that they evaluate value of fighters, not talent, right? Not ability, but value to their brand. I don't know that John Jones is a whole heck of a lot more valuable than Derek Lewis. I'm not convinced that he is. I definitely disagree with that in okay. a big, big way. I think that Derek Lewis is really popular. Yeah, Derek Lewis is a popular guy. Is he selling pay-per-views? Not that I know of. Um, here's the thing. Is John Jones comparable to Khabib or uh, Conor McGregor? No. And I don't know if that's an entirely fair comparison. Those two guys have, you know, th there's something about them that makes them remarkable. Obviously, for Khabib, it was mostly the, the uh, Conor McGregor fight that, roast his popularity right and john jones can't fight connor to get that rub off him um so i don't think that's a fair comparison i do think that he's comparable to anderson silva anderson silva scored good pay-per-view numbers against an opponent that's going to sell the fight like chael sonnen he wasn't scoring spectacular pay-per-view numbers against anyone john jones is a consistent like 600k to 800k pay-per-view buys if i remember these numbers correctly so he's a star in his own right. He's been fighting guys that are largely unknown lately, right? So he's not going to pull in insane numbers. And I think this matchup specifically is what can pull in some numbers. The kind of marketing that the UFC can put around this, right? The, the baddest man on the planet, the hardest hitting fighter, maybe in the history of combat sports is the way they're going to sell it. Certainly about Francis Ngannou, John Jones being arguably the GOAT in MMA, being undefeated, untouchable throughout his MMA career, essentially, right? Um, that should be the kind of the sales job that goes behind it. Arguably the pound for, well, our pound for pound uh, best fighter as far as active fighters. I don't know that I can think of anyone else outside of Amanda Nunes that would fill that spot. So look, I do think this could score over a million pay-per-view buys. Do I think it'll reach 2 million? Probably not. Um, but I, I don't think you're giving John Jones enough credit about his pay-per-view buys, man. I just don't, I don't hear cash. I don't hear um, 
general sports fans, the barstool guys talking about John Jones ever. I'm not saying I'm hearing I'm hear them talk about Derek Lewis much, but um, I think I've seen Derek Derek but I've seen a lot more Derek Lewis gifts going around Twitter than I have I have John Jones things in the last you know three four years as far as highlights go. Yeah, as far as I mean, John Jones doesn't really do highlights, but let's see how he does John to. Jones. There's actually he used to do uh, highlights. There was ask, actually ask Leota Machida if John Jones does highlights. Yeah, I mean he he hasn't done it in years. Right. So let's look at John Jones' pay per view track record. Jones versus Cormier two eight hundred sixty k buys. That was a hype fight, and that's that's fair, right? That's comparable to the Anderson Silva fight against uh, uh, Chael Sonnen. Then we have Jones versus fight. Cormier. Also, it was you know Cormier is one of the most popular guys in the sport. Certainly not at McGregor level. No, no, no. Hold, level, hold on, but, hold on. Yeah. Cormier, Cormier doesn't pull. Cormier doesn't pull John Jones numbers. Certainly not before that John Jones fight, right? John Jones still has better pay-per-view buys yep. than Cormier does. Um, and then, uh, and then let me see. Jones versus Gustafsson, seven hundred thousand pay-per-view buys. If you put a name across for him, he'll do well. Uh, and then it seems like he's around that five six hundred. If you don't have a name in front of him, this is a serious name. I do think he could reach one one point two million. Um, and but look, at the end of the day. Does John Jones, given his accomplishments, given the revenue that he brings in, does he deserve 10, 15, 20 million a fight? Absolutely he does. Has he gotten even a fraction of that? Not really. Two to five million per fight, as far as we can tell from from all reports. So the UFC has been underpaying him, grossly underpaying him for many years. So it, it, I am kind of finding myself speaking out of both sides of my mouth here, where I don't I'm not convinced that Jones wants this fight against Nganu, but I do think he deserves the money a lot more money than he's been getting paid. And maybe his goal is to start the negotiation at 40 or 50 million and then meet the UFC somewhere at 15 to 20. Maybe that's a, a reasonable point to, to uh, kind of meet. And that, that's fair to me. Uh, but again, I'm still not super convinced that he wants this fight. I guess we're going to see how it plays out in the next few months. Uh, anybody in mind for Stipe? Should, should he just wait out the rematch? Um, it. I don't know enough about the man. And in, in what he wants, like he's got this other career. I believe he has a second child on the way. He doesn't have anything left to prove to anybody. He's been the most successful heavyweight. It's up to Nganu uh, to see if he can be as lasting. And if Nganu can, can get through uh, this next generation of, of heavyweights that's upcoming with the Gons and the Aspinalls, et cetera. Um, but it's, it's up to him. Does he want to fight? Does he want to take, does he want to take more damage? Like, He's done it all. He came up, you know, fairly unheralded. Um, lost, you know, lost the fights to Struve in, in JDS. Avenged the JDS fight. Won the belt. Like, just proved everybody wrong. Great, I mean, great career. Stand-up guy. No, what's not to love about Stipe Miocic? You know, even so classy Stipe in defeat here. Awesome. Like, he's just, he's, he's just the best. He's just such a terrific, uh, such a terrific dude. Um, so it really, it's really about what he wants. I don't think if he, if he, if this is something that keeps him up at night because he knows he could beat Francis again, then you know, by all means, like train and, and go for it. And I think it would be, I don't know if it'd be a pick'em, but I certainly uh, wouldn't say ten out of ten in Ganu. Um, so. No, not ten out of ten, but I do think Agano will be a, like a probably a minus two twenty favorite or something. Six or seven out of ten favorite, out. I think. Um, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, it, it, at least I. But um, it's up to it's up to him, man. Does he still feel like he needs to do this for a living? 
Are there things you want yeah, to look? I've, to I've heard no indication that he's. I've heard no indication that he's thinking about retirement. So I do think it's likely that he comes back. The question is: Is he willing to fight for a couple hundred grand uh, in a non-title bout? And I think that is part of what will decide his next steps. If he's not, then he might just wait out for a rematch because that's still a big fight, right? The trilogy with Ngannou, uh, the only man to beat Ngannou in the UFC, actually beat him outside of that Derek Lewis debacle. But uh, let's talk about the co-main event, Tyron Woodley. We, yeah, yeah. Just one quick thing though. What would you, what you could do if you're gonna, if you're gonna let's give Stipe another fight, and you want him to get a payday, do it in Cleveland. You know, let him, let him fight in Cleveland, get a percentage of the house, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. And odds are Stipe will be out long enough for COVID regulations to be largely lifted, especially with vaccines going around. So I could certainly see him packing out an arena in Cleveland. And then we have Vincente Luque, who picks up the biggest win of his UFC career, of his career period, against Tyron Woodley. By the way, looking at their records now after this fight, they're almost identical with Vincente at 20-7 and seven and Tyron Woodley now at 19-7. and seven. Here's the thing. Woodley came out. I mean, we he did what we didn't know that we could expect from him, right? He came out and he actually tried to take Luke's head off. He tried to take him down. He tried to do the things that we all have been wanting him to try to some extent over his last 15 rounds prior to that one. And the problem was I think he just pushed his foot on the pedal too far. Like, Vincente Luque thrives in a firefight. And Tyron Woodley gave him that, right? What Tyron Woodley could have done was try to time that right hand occasionally. Go for the takedown when Vincente Luque is coming at you. You know he's going to come at you sooner or later. I just feel like it's almost like he needed to, the only way that he could be aggressive is if he just came out there just just going for it fully. Um, it, it seems like he couldn't find that in between, but it was good to see him trying, man. He's obviously done in the UFC, and he's going to go on to other things, maybe Bellator, maybe PFL. I'm sure the million-dollar payday at the end of a tournament uh, would be appealing to him. But it just, you know, he landed that overhand right, and he shows us he still has that power that we're questioning, right? We're wondering whether he still has it at age 37, 38. And, man, he walloped that right hand at Luque. Luque was buzzed, then he got overexcited, got rocked back, uh, then ended up going to the ground with Luque, stuck up against the cage, and Luque locked in the Darsh choke, which he is very well known for. A really nice performance by Luque. And I guess it's a good try by Woodley. It just wasn't really the smartest way to go about this. Yeah, he just, I guess he, you know, it's something to prove to himself. Listen, it's a win win fight because after spending, you know, how many rounds on his, you know, on his back, 15 rounds with 15 rounds doing very little, like, you know, he went out, he landed some, like, he went out there and challenged a really tough guy. And, you know, he didn't really have a plan B when that shot didn't finish him. Um, but, you know, good for, good for him for going out on his shield. And for Luke, like we could like, hey, I'm always excited to see his uh, to see his name on a card. And, you know, when I think about like opportunities uh, for him next, I think I've heard. Was that did I hear him and Maya? No. But yeah, I'm hearing Burns and Stephen Thompson are getting matched up. Um, oh, that's a great matchup. I can't. Remember. I, I still think Stephen Thompson should be fighting for that title because he's the guy that has the highest chance of beating Usman, but I'm intrigued by that matchup too. Yeah. I don't know who they'll match Luke up with. Maybe Covington. I don't, I don't love that matchup. Kiesa would be fun. I don't have, I would like a, I would like a Covington Luke matchup. That would be exciting as heck. Uh, and Kiesa, that would be my other one that I would, if I had a preference, just because going below Kiesa would be a little too far of a step down since Luke is now number six in the world. Yeah, I tend, I tend to agree. 
So we've got that fight squared off. And then, of course, we had a couple other bouts that are, I think, worth quickly touching up on. Sean O'Malley basically pieced up Thomas Almeida in a gift of a fight. Um, he knocked him down in that first round, celebrated too early. Almeida was tough enough to work his way through that. And Almeida was trying. It wasn't for a lack of trying. The problem is that Almeida wasn't really throwing those calf kicks consistently. And O'Malley was able to style on him. He was the faster man, the taller man, uh, the more technical man. And at this point in their career, is probably the more durable guy, even though O'Malley didn't need a whole lot of durability to take the probably 10 or 15 shots that he took from Almeida. But this was a gift of a fight for him. It made him look really good, yeah, and he ended up getting a fight. Yeah, and he still looked like a, and he still looked like a goofball. Um, oh, he's always going to look like a goofball, but he looked sharp. You, you got to admit that he looked really sharp. He looked sharp, but I mean, yeah, but against a, yeah against as handpicked of an opponent as uh, yeah. as UFC can give you, like. Let's see, you know, let's, uh, uh, you know, let's see him fight the winner of Marab Devashvili, Cody Stamen. Yes, I like that a lot. Or even the loser, honestly. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight the loser yeah. of those two bouts. Like, I think he'd still have trouble against the loser of that one. Uh, and yeah, I, I think, look, it should be an appropriate step up. There were Chael Sonnen, you know, I've talked before about how Chael Sonnen just blatantly lies, like very Trumpian, just like says something that's not true to be interesting and exciting. And he did the same thing where he claimed that, um, Dominic Cruz texted him and said he wants the O'Malley fight. Turned out that was a complete lie. Dominic Cruz never oh, even texted him, period, let alone telling huh. that. Yeah. Uh, Dominic Cruz said so in an interview. Just complete lie. Just like Chael Sonnen in a nutshell, right? So uh, O'Malley now is asking for the Dominic Cruz matchup. I would be into it, but I don't know if O'Malley deserves it, really. I, well, um, I, I would love I, to I, see him get humbled by Cruz. I think Cruz would – I think that's a really bad matchup for O'Malley. I'm not I'm not as sure as you are, given that specific matchup, given Sean O'Malley's speed, his power. Uh, like, think about speed and power are what has hurt Cruz in the recent past, right? His only two losses recently were against, granted, elite fighters, but fast, powerful fighters. And Sean O'Malley's also much bigger. And on top of that, it's not like Cruz is a, is a proficient leg kicker, right? And I think Cruz would have a little bit of a harder time avoiding Sean O'Malley's offense uh, than others. And I think Sean O'Malley I, I think- jumping on this is a good idea. Yeah, I think he's. I just think Cruz is a master of range, and that he'd be that he'd. I think that he would be able to get this fight to the ground. And I, so far, I feel like O'Malley looks like a dead fish on the ground. Yeah, he, he does. He does seem to. I'm I'm there with you. Large. I'd also like to see him fight the winner of Hani Barcelos. Team Rivalia would be fun. But there's no there's no short. Let's put it this way: there's no shortage of guys I'd love to see beat the shit out of Sean O'Malley, and that's probably exactly what the marketing machine wants. I love that value of Mar- Barcelos. The winner of that would be fantastic. I, I cannot wait to see Barcelos compete, man. Like it, it, I cannot watch enough of this guy. I think he's fantastic. He's a serious prospect. The Jose Aldo level prospect from back in the WEC days. I'm excited to see him, and I'd love to see him style in O'Malley if I could. And then quickly, we're going to discuss this last fight, Miranda Maverick versus Jillian Robertson. Um, I spoke about how I consider this fight to be pretty close because Miranda Maverick's takedown defense sucks. Uh, even though she's more athletic, she's going to be more dynamic standing. But on top, Miranda Maverick can do well against the Jillian Robertson. And all of that played out, right? Where in the first round, Miranda Maverick basically styled on Robertson. Robertson didn't really go for takedowns. I do not get it because she had gotten a takedown in that first round and kept her down like she did in the second round. She would have won those two rounds and, and she would have survived the third round and won a decision. But she didn't go for a takedown until the second round. Really go for it. And uh, and by that point, Miranda Maverick had notched up enough points. Third round, Jillian Robertson always you know kind of rough for her. She doesn't have the best conditioning or, in my opinion, like the most grit. And Miranda Maverick, uh, her athleticism, her youth really came through. She's pretty small for the weight class, too. Is she? I don't, I don't know if I'd realize that. I, I guess she could make 120, 115. 
Maverick was, I mean, Maverick looked really thick and strong compared to her and not much shorter, I don't think. Yeah, I could see it. There is, like, part of it is the athletic disparity. Um, but, yeah, maybe maybe there is a size thing. Also, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, let me see. She's 5'5". Five, five. I think Maverick is shorter, by the way, so it makes sense that she would be thicker. Maverick's 5'3", five, Maverick's five th- only, yeah, two inches shorter, but she was heavily, like, yeah, she looked she was muscle way, leg-ray. way stronger. I agree. Uh, do you see anyone, anyone in mind for Miranda Maverick next, Nikolai? Oh, boy. How high up do you think she should jump after this one? Uh, Talia Santos, I think, would be very interesting. Andrea Lee, I would be into as well. Macy Barber, even though she's coming off a loss, uh, they're ranked 14 and 15. Might be a good setup fight for Maverick on paper. Yeah, I think probably the winner of Roxanne Matafari, Talia Santos. Uh, Yeah, I I that. I think it's a little bit too, too fast of a step up. Uh, against I mean, Santos, it, 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 but they're eh. both super prospects. Like, wh- I guess why not see which one of these two come through? Um, if it is Tali Santos that wins, if it's um, if it's uh, uh, your girl Roxanne that wins, in that case, I'm all for Maverick versus Roxanne because Roxanne is exactly the kind of style where a Maverick's takedown defense will be tested in this one, and Roxanne is exactly the kind of person that can yeah. take advantage of. You know what? I'm gonna say Roxanne Matafari, win or lose, should face Miranda Maverick next. I think that for Matafari, it's a great opportunity to pick up a win over a serious prospect. And for Ma- Miranda Maverick, it's an opportunity to show that her takedown defense uh, is getting shored up, which, you know, hasn't really looked all that great so far. So yeah, I- I'm very intrigued by that matchup, Nick. I like the idea. Uh, let's let's end the segment here, Nikolai. Let's dive into this weekend's UFC and ABC, uh, which is just stacked uh, just with a bunch say, of great fights. So, Talk to so me. Just a second. I, wanted, I just <laughs> want to call out Malarkey with that, that uh, long looping shot just slept comma worthy that was fantastic awesome. yeah Worthy's chin sucks and it's a shame for him but malarkey set it up really well faked the right hand uh kind of came in with that beautiful left uh hook and and knocked karma's lights off it was fantastic he said he said you are now full of malarkey yeah he did and unworthy and unworthy Oh, man, look at you. Double pun, Nikolai. Alonzo Manyfield with that Von Flew choke over Fabio Charant. Uh, Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov actually looked pretty sharp against Jared Gooden. He looked sharp standing, great jab, looked sharp on the ground. Uh, I think Khabib going full-time coach so far is making Khabib look really good so far. I'm, I'm very intrigued by where that's going to lead. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't it? Like, Khabib's super, super smart. Um and I'm glad, you know, I saw him hanging out with Zabit, which is also interesting. He called Zabit the the greatest uh, featherweight um, Khabib did, on the huh? planet. Wow. Which I, Khabib, Khabib said that to, about Zabit. For about two rounds, he might be. But after that second round, it's all downhill for that guy. He needs serious work on his conditioning and energy. Yeah, energy. at that point. Yeah, yeah. After You're right. After after 10 minutes, Abe Lincoln be stinking. But we got to <laughs> um, assume that he's going to get a little bit better at that. Um, I hope but, so. I haven't seen any Yeah, I love the idea of... Uh, Habib, the Habib having like just a stable of monsters is super appealing to me. And he's, he's a guy that like early in his MMA career decided I'm going to be the greatest MMA fighter of all time. I'm going to be the best. And he achieved it. And like immediately at the end of his MMA career, even though he's only like 32 years old, he's like, I'm going to be the greatest coach ever. And he's like, hit the ground running. It's fucking unbelievable. He actually, um, I don't think he has any fighters actually on this um, upcoming card, but I thought he did because uh, I know uh, one of the members of this upcoming card used to be a member of T- uh, Eagle MMA. Uh, let's take a break, Nikolai. Come back and break down this stacked card we have coming up this weekend for you guys.
Back on the MMA Geek C-Level podcast, we're going to break down Vittori versus Holland. Uh, this one is exciting, man. Like, just about every fight, in my opinion, is worth watching, if only for the entertainment value, if only for the name, if only for the, the prospect. I am super, super excited about this one, Nick. Now, in our last episode, I believe it was me who had the first pick, which leaves you with the first pick on this one, buddy. Go for it. I'm going to go with i'm curious if this is your first pick or not um i think that julian marquez is going to spoil sam alvey's uh middleweight shift um yes he was able to come back and pull that victory out against uh maki patolo but i have concerns about smiling sam who's not a small light heavyweight uh moving to 185 he's also not a particularly fast light heavyweight um so the the notion of a of a drawn out Sam Alvey losing a little bit of his one probably losing a little bit of his one at his age uh, superpower which is you know that he's got some he's got some pop to his punches uh, against a you know uh, a, a I think a pretty a pretty durable uh, well rounded fighter out of out of Syndicate like who beat Darren Stewart with a choke who knocked out Phil Hawes. Uh, years ago like knocked out Matt Hamill I just don't like uh yeah it's never it's just, let's put it this way man it's never good when a dude who's been around as long as Sam Alvey drops weight it <laughs> just or drops yeah. weight drops a weight class he originally was a middleweight it's the weird thing originally yeah but it's he's been at light heavyweight for a while yep um true. you know how what was his last middleweight fight 2017 I mean when he's fighting uh, Rashad and Talis Leites and Nate Marquardt. I guess that was that would have been at middleweight. Yeah, it should have been Derek Brunson. But so he's back down to middleweight. But it's been it's been like four or five years, and he's he's thirty four years old. Um, I just think that's a little late to be dropping down. Um, I see I see Marquez having uh having more speed and versatility, and uh, maybe getting smiling Sam out of there. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, he's crafty as hell, right? But his low output is really what bothers me about him. Like I said, hasn't won a fight in three, three and a half years now. But his last two fights were pretty competitive against two prospects. One of those fights was a draw. The other one could have gone his way. Um, the thing about Marquez is he's not like super technical per se. He's not super fast for middleweight. But then he's fighting a former light heavyweight. And he's super busy, and that's really the big thing, right? You can do well against Marquez for like 10 minutes, and then he can win a fight late. He's done it time and time again um, since he's not very technical or fast, but he's relentless with multiple come-from-behind wins in his career. I'm favoring Marquez given his momentum advantage here, but Alvey's crafty enough to win a close decision, I think. Plus, Alvey's cutting down to 185 for the first time, like you said, and it could mean that either that he's in great shape or that he's kind of emaciated and the guy has five kids. Like his main corner person is his wife who also has five kids. So I'm going to assume this was a grueling process and I'm going to assume that he's going to come in here about as ready as he has been lately uh, with nothing but craft on him. So I'm going to pick Julian Marquez to be the busier fighter here, but let's face it. We've seen uh, lesser fighters than Sam Alvey do well against Julian Marquez. Um, so it wasn't my first pick, but it wasn't my top five or six, uh, maybe six or seven. My next pick is going to, be, or I should say my first pick is going to be, I'm going to go for the main event. Why not? Uh, the Marvin Vittori. Ah, I, am, I almost I almost picked that first. Well, would that, would that would have been yours? Yeah. So Vittori, we know he's like a pressure fighter, relentless uh, pressure standing up, 
pretty heavy power, it looks like, on the feet, but he doesn't have a whole lot of knockdowns, right? He should have uh, knockdowns in his record, but he kind of doesn't. Um, and he's really just nasty from up top, just pressure, mauls people from up there, uh, can get the choke, can uh, potentially finish with ground and pound if given the opportunity, but he does tend to go to decision. If we look at his UFC career, he has only had two finishes in the UFC. One was in his UFC debut and the other was in his uh, second to last fight against Carl Robertson, who, who, you know, came in pretty out of shape if I remember correctly. So look, I, I like Marvin Vittori here over Holland, who showed that he doesn't have good wrestling defense. Vittori has good wrestling offense. He showed that he can be pressured, right? As a taller fighter, Marvin Vittori's going to pressure him. He also showed that he's not very big for this division, and Marvin Vittori's just a muscular, large man. More importantly, Vittori is mentally extremely focused and, and, and hungry, right? He wants that title. He wants to climb up those rankings, whereas Kevin Holland is busy thinking about his, like, promoting himself in the middle of a fight rather than how to figure out how to win it. So uh, I like Marvin Vittori here to get a big win over Kevin Holland. Um, Kevin Holland's going to be the faster striker. If he can keep his range, he can do really well. I'm just not really going to rely on him to do that here, especially on short notice. Yeah, I I just love uh, love Vittori. He's really, he's really won me over um, since his split decision loss to Adesanya, which when you go and watch that fight is aged really well because – He's supremely confident. He doesn't give it in. She's technically good. He's yeah. very powerful. And Holland's not going to get in his head. I don't think Holland can um, is going to hurt him uh, on the feet. I don't think Vittori is going to be too worried about uh, his hands. Holland might be a little bit – his flashier might be more creative and unpredictable. Um, but I – listen, like Vittori went toe-to-toe with Adesanya. It was earlier – it was early UFC Adesanya, but still. Um, if he could handle 2018 Israel, like I'm not really, I think he can handle 2021 Kevin Holland. Yeah. Especially um, since he's improved since then. Right. I agree. He's improved and he's so, yeah, he's, he's so strong. He's supremely confident. Um, listen, if it could get just like that, her, uh, Hermanson fight, which was good and competitive. Um, it could get interesting late. Like we'll, we'll see how, how it, you know, um, I do think Holland probably keeps some pop over the fourth and fifth round. I think he remains dangerous um, if he's not on his back, but I still, uh, I, I really think that Vittori is the smart, the smart money here. And I'm excited to watch him. I feel like, I mean, get when I'm, I really hope he gets through this fight because getting him against the winner of Bobby Knuckles, Kelvin Gastelum is, would be, uh, that's, that's why we're fans. I agree. There with you, bud. What is your next pick? Uh, my next pick, I'm going to take uh, the wrestler with the gas tank, Jack Shore, over Hunter Azure, uh, who's who's not bad, uh, you know, pretty good. He, he gasses out a little bit. I just think he's susceptible to Shore's strengths. Um, and that I just have a tough time seeing, uh, even though Azure's got explosiveness and athleticism, uh, being able to stay basically be in positions where he'll be able to score points and win the fight. Uh, over shore i wouldn't be surprised if this results in a choke uh finish for sure um but i could certainly see him getting a 29 28 uh after maybe dropping uh round one to an aggressive azure yeah i could i could definitely i could definitely see something like that being the case azure is actually a pretty good wrestler he's got heavy hands and he he is but he's not as i don't think he's as good a wrestler as shore is 
Um, well, that's the thing. He's got a wrestling background and sure is like great once he gets to the ground, but he's a great wrestler. He's good for a non, for a guy with a non wrestling background. So look, I, I, I definitely see why the odds are relatively close here. I agree that I'm giving the edge to Jack Shore. I think he's going to pressure effectively and wear uh, Azure down. And let's face it, Azure's one UFC loss was by submission. I could see something along the lines, those lines happening here. I also think there's a chance, and if only slightly, I think there's a chance that Jack Shore is a little bit more technical standing. He might have a little more snap and speed on top of being the taller fighter. Uh, but I will say this, Hunter Azure trains with Henry Cejudo and the crew now at Fight Ready. So, wouldn't be surprised if he's extremely ready for this. And given the very high level of training he's probably seeing day to day, wouldn't be surprised if Jack Shore seems like a day off. But uh, I'm, I'm there with you. I'm going with Jack Shore. But this was much lower on my list. My next pick is going to be in the Jim Miller-Joe Selecki matchup. Jim Miller, grizzled veteran, has all the experience in the world. Extremely dangerous in the first round. The thing is, ever since he got Lyme disease, he hasn't won a fight that's gone past the second round in almost five years. And I don't expect him to finish Joe Selecki in the first round. Selecki's a serious prospect, great grappling, developing stand-up, but pretty good there too. Uh, I think Selecki's going to have a pretty dominant second and third round after a fairly close first round. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see this kid continuing to perform. And I think this is a good matchup for both guys here. All right. Yeah. I have, I have, uh, I have Joe Selecki as well. Uh, for the reasons uh, for the reasons that you picked, he's he's just looked really good. But you never know. You never know what's going to happen in that first round. True. Wouldn't be surprised if Miller if Miller grabbed a neck. Um, Miller's super dangerous early, even with his hands. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, often he'll he'll set up the he'll set up the choke by land by dazing someone with a with a yeah, with a, right. a great one too. That's right. Um, I'm gonna go for my next pick. Um, I'm gonna pick uh, Norma Dumont. Uh, a, a very talented fighter who unfortunately was most known for being on the other end of the Megan Anderson highlight reel that was played uh, leading up to the Amanda Nunes fight, but she's taking on late replacement, uh, Aaron Blanchfield, um, who'll be making her UFC debut after a couple of wins uh, in Invicta. I think that Norma should be, I've got to check this out again. I'm pretty sure she's going to be the, uh, the bigger, stronger uh, fighter of the two. Um, and she's pretty, I think she's got pretty good top control, heavy on the ground, solid ground and pound. Um, I see her ending up on top in this fight and, uh, and, and just kind of giving the late replacement, uh, the late replacement fighter a little bit more than she can handle a tough, a tough time just based on sort of like, like strength and experience. Yeah, I'm looking at Norma Dumont now. She actually had a bantamweight fight in her last bout, Nick, and she weighed in at 139. She's supposed to make 125 in this one. That's something I did not realize before. And she only had to weigh in at 146 for a UFC debut. So she's never even made 135, and now she's supposed to make 125. That is very interesting to me. Something I did not notice in my research leading up to this bout. Uh, I didn't either. This is a fly, this is a flyweight fight. Yeah, at least that's. I what, wonder. I wonder if she was was it originally was her. Was her? Let me see. If I can't imagine original... they would change it ten pounds down just for. Oh, you know what? Um, you know what? This is. I think this is a bantamweight bout. No, this is a bantamweight fight, Nick. And as a matter of fact, yeah, it, 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 her last opponent, B. Uh, B. Malecki, who fell out out of Fortis, was. Uh, that was she was a bantamweight. Right, so and, this and is uh, a, this, okay. Aaron Blanchfield's normally a hundred twenty-five pound fighter who has to uh, fight at one thirty-five in her UFC debut. Dumont is a yeah, fast. Yeah, that's not good for her. 
No, not on paper anyway, but Dumont is a fast athletic striker. Blanchfield is a good pressure fighter standing herself. She does not suck, man. She's from the New York, yeah, New Jersey. Yeah, she has a win against Kay Hansen. That's and right. And she has a split decision right. against Tracy Cortez. Those Exa- are good, those a loss are good fighters. To, exactly. And she trains for the New York, New Jersey area, right? Trains with people like Caitlin Chukagian. So she knows what like the top of the top of women's uh, 125, 135 feels like. Um, I have concerns about Aaron's grappling if she can get takedowns, but I'll favor Dumont, who should be the much more athletic fighter. Plus, she has a couple of UFC fights under her belt, and Aaron is making her UFC debut, like you said, on short notice. Um, I I think this one should be closer than the odds suggest, assuming that Blanchfield is in pretty good shape. But but yeah, I'm there with you on Dumont. I think uh, her getting that first-round knockout loss to a pretty mediocre fighter like doesn't say much. She basically got caught in her UFC debut. Um, I do like Dumont here as well. My next pick is going to be uh, in the... I mean, it's hard to trust this guy, but I'm going to pick Jorgen DeCastro to beat Jarjis Daño. Uh, Jarjis yeah. is winless in two UFC fights. The last time he fought in the UFC was almost five years ago. And Jorgen DeCastro, like, he's good for five minutes. He's fantastic in the first round, and then everything falls apart. His, his conditioning just wanes. He can, like, land, like, 45 strikes in the first round and then land, like, 10 strikes in the last 10 minutes of a fight. It's, like, pretty disappointing. But I do still think, uh, given Daniel's conditioning issues, I still think he should be the better fighter here. As long as he, like, if even if he doesn't finish in the first round, as long as he puts some effort in in the second or third, he should win the fight here. So I like Jorgen DeCastro to pick up a win uh, and go two and two in the UFC. Yeah, same. I mean, there's no there's no rationale to pick Daniel unless you think that DeCastro is going to completely fall apart or this guy's been doing nothing but MMA for five years, waiting for this other chance. Right. I, I think it, you know. Um, <clears throat> I think all of these ne- the next. It's just a lot of pickums now. It really is, man. Even uh, even with opinion. some fights where the odds are very wide, to me they they're absolute pickums from here on out. I agree. Um, so I'm just gonna go with uh, what I feel, which is that um, I I think I think William Knight is a supernatural beast, um, and I think he's I just I think he's gonna be able to muscle, even though Da Jung is no slouch. He's a tough dude and a good fighter and a good puncher. Um, I think William Knight's gonna is gonna is gonna be stronger and be able to bully him around and put the fight where he wants to. Um, so I think over three rounds that uh, Jung's gonna spend some time up against the cage. I think he's gonna spend some time on his back, getting uh, catch you know getting pounded. I think he'll have some success um, on the feet, landing punches. But over three rounds, I just I think that William Knight's gonna be able to um, do enough you know do enough mauling. I think I also think that Knight's is. I think he's a composed and smart fighter. I think he knows how to manage his gas tank. Um, and I don't I don't think he's going to get into any sort of irresponsible firefight. I just think I think he's going to use uh, I think he's going to use his strength uh, and strategy to put this fight where he wants. Um, I'm favoring Da Jung here because of his size, his experience and well, the fact that he's well, you're wrong. I, you know what, let's see, let's see how it works out. And the fact that he's technically just better everywhere, like William Knight is super athletic, but extremely raw, right? If Knight can pull this off, he's a real prospect as he adds more technique to his athleticism, like over the next year or so. But I, you know, I have a hard time, like without seeing Knight actually perform against a good opponent yet. 
I have a, a hard time picking him in a matchup where I, I think his opponent's like a really skilled technical fighter. I know he's coming off of a draw, but um, I, I think he's 2-0 in the UFC outside of that. So I, I disagree with this one, and this is our first point of disagreement. This was actually uh, the last one on my list because it's hard to hard to know what to expect from William Knight. He might just win this fight, right, if he is a special, special kind of athlete, but uh, technically I he's think way I, behind. I, I, I suspect he is. And, yeah, uh, I hear that. He's, you know, he's one of your guys, and, and, it sounds like, Nikolai. Oh, he's became one of my guy. I didn't. I don't. I can't remember if I picked him last time. He's fighting out of Hartford. I wasn't that impressed uh, by anything that I saw before we picked his first fight, and then just watching him in the cage on that. I just have a. It, yeah, I have a feeling about this guy. Yep. Uh, my next pick is going to be. This is, I think, my. F- uh, I'm trying to decide between these two matchups. I'm going to go with. Mackenzie Dern to edge Nina Ansaroff. Oh, I can't believe we agree on this. Uh, well, I was going to pick it, but later. Yeah, I'm, I'm so because you thought that we disagreed as why you left it for later. Makes sense. Um, I, he, here's the thing. I, I was actually confident that you'd pick Dern in this one. Going into this one, I wasn't sure that I was. I gonna was going to pick. I was going to pick Dern in this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I figured. Yeah. Um, going into this one, I I thought that I was that I would be picking Nina Ansaroff because her takedown offense is good. Mackenzie Dern's wrestling is absolutely terrible. But Mackenzie Dern has been uh, training with Jason uh, Perillo, 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 I think, Um, and really sharpening up her skills. Like on top of her being very athletic, which allowed her to land hard shots when she does throw that one-two, I think she's rounding out her game. It looks to me, based on her Instagram, that she's really been focusing on her strength and conditioning. Looks in phenomenal shape. More muscle than I've ever seen on her before. Less body fat than I've seen on her before. Um, And the fact that Nina Ansaroff just gave birth to uh, to her and Amanda Nunez's baby girl six months ago, right? The fact that she's got a newborn to deal with, and I know I have, I have a one and a half year old in the next room who, uh, you know, you, you guys probably hear in the background here and there. Um, I, I know that that can be a real handful. So I'm picking Mackenzie Dern because she's like in her stride following, you know, having her baby. She's in a very similar position uh, about a year and a half ago as Nina Ansaroff is now coming in uh, post giving birth. And Mackenzie Dern's one loss was right after she gave birth to her kid. Uh, I'm going to pick Mackenzie Dern here because even if she can't necessarily get takedowns, I don't know that Nina Ansaroff's kicks are going to be enough. I think that when Dern does land, it's going to be with power. Uh, so I'm, I'm picking her based on her athletic advantage and the fact that she's really able to focus fully on MMA, focus on improving rather than focusing on, uh, you know, essentially child rearing. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I like the way Mackenzie Dern fights. Like, I think she's, even though she doesn't have the most inherently athletic build, I do think she's quite uh, athletically talented. Yep. But she's also per- she's persistent. She's unpredictable. She uses her confidence and her rawness almost as a strength. As a strength. It's true. Um, and the kinds of fight like it's a it's a poised like kick poised kickboxers and counter strikers have the most trouble I think with that with that kind of style. Um, so it's. I, I think that uh, I think Dern's going to be able to take advantage of scrambles. I think she's going to catch el- hit land elbows, uh, in sh- you know, out of uh, strange and unpredictable angles. I think she's just going to be a little bit too much of a Tasmanian devil uh, for Ansaroff to wrangle. And I think that you know, baby or not, I think that may that may have been the case. But also, you know, we haven't seen a lot of Ansaroff uh, because because she was pregnant, right. uh, so we don't know what we're going to get. Mackenzie Dern, if you remember, came back. Uh, to fight Amanda Hebus after having a baby, looking more in shape than she ever did before she had the baby. Yep. Um, but 
you know, Dern's on a bit of a roll. Her punches are still weird. Her wrestling is what it is, but that stuff's getting better. But her, her, her will and determination to win and her unpredictability, I think should probably be enough. Um, to uh to get a decision here or maybe or maybe a sub we'll see i'm there with you what's your next pick bud oh boy looking at all these fights uh i'll i'll go ahead and pick the co-main event um which i'm really looking forward to um but i think that i think that despite you know despite him being uh a very strong and technical fighter. I think that uh, Arnold Allen just won't be able to give back as heavy as Sadiq Yusuf is going to be able to deliver. I think this is going to be one of those fights of guys landing about this, you know, the same. I think it's going to be very exciting, technical, two dudes standing in front of each other. I just think one of them's got more pop than the other. Um, yeah. I think I think Yusuf should be able to keep this on the feet, and I. Um, I won't be surprised if he actually lands a knockout if, uh, on a, you know, on a counter hook or a simultaneous hook. Um, but I'm going with, uh, I'm going with Sadiq Yusuf. Yeah. Both guys are serious prospects on a big roll. Both guys have excellent hands, particularly their jabs, which will not work very well against an opponent who has the opposite stance since Allen is a Southpaw and, uh, Sadiq is an Orthodox fighter. So like the jab is going to be hard to land for either guy. Allen has a speed advantage, right? While Yusuf has a power advantage and is not much slower. Allen can get stuck on his back for a bit while Yusuf pops up immediately if taken down. Yusuf is happy to control from top position even though he doesn't go for a lot of takedowns. Neither guy has been knocked down in the UFC competition. Both guys have multiple UFC knockdowns. Yusuf lost the third round against Andre Philly, which is why Philly fought from the southpaw, uh, which is when Philly fought from the southpaw stance, right? And that's who he's facing now. He honestly looked like he couldn't get much done against Philly in that third round. But that could be because Yusuf was somewhat fatigued and was hunting for the knockout at that point. Uh, like I like based on what his corner was saying, it sounds like he wanted that bonus. Um Still, Philly's left hand landed clean several times in that third round. Even though Allen doesn't have the reach of Philly, he does have some serious speed. But Allen hunches his head forward, and I could see Yusuf counterclipping him when his weight is anchored forward, which would almost certainly lead to a knockdown. I'm favoring Yusuf here partially based on the idea that he is something special. I kind of tagged him as something special from uh, his Contender Series fight. Between a strong mind, power, his strength, his speed, his technique. He could be the next African-born UFC champion, but also because he hits harder and should be physically stronger than Allen. Allen's speed and conditioning are probably going to give him the third round. The question is, can he take one of the first two rounds off Yusuf? It's very possible, especially with Ross Zahabi in his corner. I, I think he can formulate a game plan to, to have him win one of the first two standards. Uh, so, look, it's, it's close. I'm sticking with Yusuf, but uh, this is the stiffest test of either, either guy's career, and I'm very excited to watch this one play out. This is absolutely the main event for me, and it sounds like it is for you as well, buddy. Um, yeah, but you're well, – hang on. I want to close out because you don't, you don't seem to be complaining about prospect versus prospect here. Um, no, no, it's true. I'm, I'm excited to see these two guys and and you're right. Like I, would I prefer either of these guys fight like a, like a guy at the, at the further upper level? Yes. But I think both these guys are ranked. I feel like they're more in the contender mode now than they are prospects. So I'm more comfortable with this, right? Because both guys have wins over grizzled veterans that are respected who, you know, are ranked in that top 15 range. So I feel like it's more of a contender fight. And I honestly think the winner of this should be getting like a prime, prime name, like top 
five type six and the loser shouldn't be falling too far behind depending on how the loss comes, especially if it's a close decision. But I would love for this to have been a five round fight. Uh, my next pick is going to be in the Daniel Rodriguez versus Mike Perry matchup. Perry is seven and seven in the UFC. Not super impressive. He's obviously a wild man. Um, <laughs> likes to lunch for it with hooks, but his counter game has come a long way. Um, and his offensive wrestling is actually pretty good at this point. That's something that's really undervalued. One and three in his last four fights with the one win being against Mickey Gall, who's not really UFC level after losing two in a row to a pair of elite contenders, Joff Neal and Vicente Luque. And then uh, I think he's coming off a loss to uh, Tim Means. Yes. Rodriguez is three and one of the UFC coming off of a close decision loss to Nicholas Dalby. He actually outlanded Dalby like two to one in that fight. Um, tall for a welterweight, 33 years old, but, prop, but a promising up-and-comer, 13-2 uh, overall, and both losses by close decision. Got wins over Tim Means, Gabe Green, and Grant Dawson, who's uh, very talented himself. I, at least I think it's Grant. I, I hope I got the right Dawson. Um, south, uh, a really sharp southpaw jab and a hard left hand. Here's the thing. I think Rodriguez does best when somebody's pressing him and he can counter he had to move forward more in his last fight that he lost against Delby, and I think that's partially to account for it. I, I like, uh, I think Mike Perry is not very technical, but he's mentally strong. I know he's been training in Florida with a real team now, which is a good sign for him, but I'm going to pick the 3-1 fighter to beat the 7-7 seven and seven fighter here. Um, this is a real pick for me. Jeez. Uh, I... Uh... I'm going to go – I mean, it's not, it's no points for me, but I'm I still am going to go with Perry just because he's been against better competition, and he's had some success. I mean, a split decision against Vincente Luque where he like won a round is like – that's – I don't know. That's more impressive than anything D-Rod's done yet. Um, but I hear, I hear that. I hear you. Although D-Rod did, did beat uh, Tim Means in his UFC debut on short notice and finished him. Yeah. Who does that shit? Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, Means is hot and cold, but I hear you. This is going to be – Listen, this one's not going to be isn't going to be boring, and it could go either way. I agree. What's your next pick, buddy? I am going to go with the Chilean fighter over the Canadian one, Ignacio Bahamondes, uh, to defeat uh, the durable but kind of tiny John Macdesi. Um, he's fighting a six three opponent here. I don't I don't think that um, Bahamondes it. He'd have to be really – I think he's too good at using his distance. I don't think that Mac Desi really hits hard enough, and I just don't see him being – a. and he's not always that active. I just – I think this is a really bad style matchup for him. Um, and I think he's kind of at the, the back half of uh, of what he's got to offer, um, you know, in the, in the UFC. Uh, I mean, he did have – he did rattle off, you know, three wins after getting – KO'd by Venata against Abel Trujillo, Ross Pearson, Jesus Pinedo, um, before losing to Trinaldo. But I just, I just think this is a, I think this is a bad, bad matchup um, for the 35-year-old Macdessy. Yeah, Macdessy's low output is probably what concerns me. I, I assume he still trains under Faraz Zahabi, but I'm not sure about that. And if he is, look, the, the guy's crafty. He's technical standing. He wins most of these fights against fellow strikers. He lost a split decision to Lando Venata. Not, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It was actually. I a, guess he's, he's training under Duke Rufus, I guess, oh, is what it says here on Topology. Interesting. He did switch from Faraz. Yeah, um, I'm glad you're picking this and not me. Like, as much as Igna- Ignacio uh, seems talented and he's a tall guy, he's making his UFC debut. He's very young in his career. Um, he does, however, to his credit, have a win over Chris Brown recently. And I assume that is the same Chris Brown that uh, beat up Brianna at some point in life. 
boo 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 dad jokes straight up you that's a that's a d plus dad joke you have not been a dad long enough to be dropping shit like that well i'll be honest with you d plus dad jokes about as good of a dad joke as i can pull off nick so it's a compliment for me not all of us have been dads for 15 or 16 years my daughter's not yet eight, but go ahead. Um, tell <laughs> us, enough. tell us more about why you wouldn't have picked this fight. Tell us more about your lack of security and your picking ability. Oh, it's like that, Nikolai. Did I mention that I was still in the lead and comfortably at this point? I mean, not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. Right? I would call it comfortably, but just go ahead. Jake talked about the fight. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Look, Ignacio's a, a tall striker. He's got good front kicks. Um, he's definitely gonna have the size advantage here. John McDessie doesn't really switch modes, right? Like he doesn't really go for takedowns against a fellow strikers. So for that reason, I agree with you. But but with some trepidation, um, I think McDessie does well against strikers. He does well when he gets the striking battle he desires. I could see if Ignatius really puts it on him, how uh, he can run away with it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. But it's hard to be confident in this one. Uh, also, I haven't seen enough footage on Ignacio to really be confident. My next pick is going to be. We've got four left, and these are all really tough. I'm going to roll the dice on... I'm going to take Mateos Gambro to beat Scott Holtzman. Even though Scott Holtzman is actually very skilled, uh, probably at the best point of his career, Gambro is very well-rounded, good fundamental standing, but not very explosive. He's got solid grappling too, but prefers to strike. Lost his UFC debut to in a competitive decision. Um, so he's now 17-1 overall. His opposition has been solid throughout his career, though, right? Like, there's not a single fighter on his record with a losing record. And, and there's actually a bunch of really impressive records on there. Skultz, uh, Holtzman's made serious improvements since his UFC debut. He's always been athletic, but now really kind of putting his striking and wrestling together and with, with like, actual skill. Problem is that he's hitting this his stride at age 37. Um, Gamero's more technical standing, but Holtzman has more firepower. I think his wrestling offense might prove to be the deciding factor, but Holtzman has only been taken down once in his last several fights, so that might be a tough route to take if Gamero can't outstrike him. I'm giving the slightest to Gamero here, but the odds are too wide. Yep, I, uh, I agree with it, unfortunately, because I hate agreeing with you, but I agree with everything you said about that pick. Um, I'm going to go... You next love agreeing with, with me. and I think this I think this is gonna be a really exciting, interesting fight. But I'm gonna pick uh the Russian Aliskab Kizliev uh to defeat Kyle Dawkus in a in a middleweight bout. Um Dawkus is tough. I just I have a I have a concern that Alashkab Kizliev um is just gonna be too strong for him and that Dawkus is gonna spend uh, a, a considerable time on his back and not necessarily um, be able to do enough. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, it really boils down to that being a very similar concern for me in this matchup. Dawkins has like really good hands, he got really good Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. The problem is he's a little bit too comfortable working off of his back. That's the last thing you want to do against this kid. Um, he's undefeated. The, a black, former- the black Wolf. The Black from Wolf. The da- from Dagestani fighter, Mahak Kala, Russia, which is Dagestan. <laughs> yeah, he uh, used to train uh, at Eagles MMA under Khabib's father, uh, has spent time at ATT a couple of years ago. I believe he trains under Ray Sefo in uh, Vegas now at Extreme Couture. Um, mm. I wonder why he stopped training with Eagle, but... Yeah, I, I mean, uh, this must have been years ago, and I guess like a bunch of them traveled to the U.S. and started working here, and he just chose, you know, ATT initially, and then switched over, kind of chose his own path. Um, 
His striking is developing. He's like really short and hittable. He's about Khabib's height, but fights 30 pounds over his weight. Pressures with his strikes into takedowns, but his grappling is suffocating. He's only recently started fighting opponents with good records, though. Dawkins is 10-1. and one. Like I said, talented boxer, really good BJJ, but a little bit too comfortable on his back. Uh, made his UFC debut against Brendan Allen and made it a close back-and-forth war of attrition, but Brendan Allen is not a great wrestler, and he was able to get top position on him several times, even though I think it was uh, Dawkins that got all the takedowns. Kyle will be the much better striker with a serious height and reach advantage, but he tends to end up on his back in many of his fights, which is where Kirziev is at his strongest. For that reason, I'm giving Kirziev a slight edge, but Dawkins has the tools to beat him, in my opinion. He's just, again, too comfortable on his back for me to pick him in this one. So Kirziev has a, like, a ton of experience. I mean, he's been fighting pros since 2014, fighting guys in M1, which, you know, was like definitely a little sketchy of an organization, but filled with killers in Russian promotions. And then... He's had against against guys with not great but not terrible records like sixteen and nine, um, eleven and six. You know, a 28, yeah. 28 second win. He, he beat Husamar Palharis, the twenty eighteen version of Husamar Palharis. Yeah, but he beat him in less. He grounded pound in less than a minute. Um, then he won his contender series fight in less than a minute. So this guy's uh, he's a he's a killer. He's a finisher. And you know how I feel about the Dagestani fighters. I do. Actually, I'm looking right now. He was originally scheduled to fight Wellington Terman, who, you know, I decided was going to be my guy before I got knocked out. Um, here's the thing. He he hasn't really fought a high level of competition up until five fights ago. And five fights ago, he started fighting guys with 11 and 6, 16 and 9, 19 and 8, you know, yeah. largely journeymen, essentially, including Paul Harris, who was just in a terrible point in his career. So it's hard to tell what he's going to do against this level of competition. He is pretty hittable, though. And I could see that being a real concern against Dawkins, but Dawkins hasn't shown like insane power and he's just too willing to be in the clinch and on his back. So yeah, look, uh, like I said, Dawkins just has to have the right game plan. I think he can win this fight, especially with uh, Kirzaev not necessarily training with the the Khabib guys who I think can coach him exactly correctly for this matchup. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a tough one to call. My final pick is going to be... Because I don't really know enough about Al Saldana and I can't really trust in Jordan Griffin, I'm going to go with the Kasanganai Sasha Poletnikov matchup. This was also like really wide odds wise, considering one guy's coming off of an impressive win and the other guy's coming off of a detrimental loss. Kasanganai was seen as a real prospect going into his spectacular knockout loss to Joaquin Buckley. Tends to get stronger as the fight goes deeper. He doesn't always win the first round, but he does start to take over after that. Buckley never really gave him the chance to do that, and Kasanganai prefers to strike more than anything else. Sasha came in and scored an upset win over an overhyped opponent in his UFC debut. Pretty good striking and good offensive grappling game, I would say. I'm edging towards Kasanganai, but I can also see how this chin might be compromised following that knockout loss. Uh, Sasha might just come out and score another upset here. I wouldn't be shocked. But again, like the odds seem surprisingly far apart here. Um, I can see Kasanganai being a favorite, but this seems a little bit silly. So you're going with Kasanganai? I am going with Kasanganai. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, at 170, I mean, we'll see. Dude is pretty ripped at 185. Um, what was that for? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize I didn't realize he was cutting down. Yeah. Do you need me to do your homework for you, Stan, or are you going to actually come prepared next week? Well, I'll tell you what. Why, why don't you beat me on one of these events and maybe uh, get, get ahead on the scores, and then you can talk like that. <laughs> uh, we're picking about. We pick generally the same. You know what? D- fuck you. 
<laughs> Good comeback uh, as usual, got, bud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't. Not my best comeback, but. Um, <laughs> um, so we basically have one more pick, and we don't really need a tiebreaker given how uh, our scoring system works. So I guess we can both quickly, you know, talk about this fight, and if if one fight pulls out, this can be kind of the replacement for one of us. Wait, hang on. Do we have even picks right now? Oh, because it's seven seven. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. We could both talk about this, and then. Uh, so you got a guy, kind of a journeyman, who had a lot of losses at the beginning of his career, Luis Saldana. Um, against not super terrific competition, others fighting there against Justin Lawrence, some other guys, but he won in the contender series recently, I believe against Jordan Griffin, who, you know, an excitable guy, not a great fight IQ. Um, and who's, you know, who's, who's been in there, um, with some, pr- some pretty quality guys. I mean, Dan, Dan Iga's a, you know, top 15, maybe top 12 fighter. Chaz yep. Skelly is a tough, is a tough out for anybody. And Yusuf Zalal, if you're going to stand with him and you can't get him down, is, you know, is good. Not as good as maybe all of us thought. But, you know, that's out of three of his last four fights since his own win on the Contender Series three years ago. Um, that's that's kind of being thrown to the wolves, you know, a little bit. Iga, Skelly, and Zalal. Those are, those, you know, that's a tough competition. Um, TJ Brown is his, is his one win in there. Is his one in three since the Contender Series. Um and TJ Brown is is winless outside of his contender series fight, so it's it's tough because Griffin's been has been in there with such good guys. He is a Rufus Sport fighter, so that means he's probably been training with with Mac Desi for this fight. Um, real, I mean, real tough. I think that Saldana probably has a higher upside and maybe a, a better fight IQ, but I'm not. It's not something I'm confident about. What do, you, what do you think about this fight between two not really prospects? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards Saldana. He's going to be the taller, better striker. Jordan Griffin has his blitzes, but will that be enough to score enough on the scorecards? The bigger question, I think, is whether Jordan could get takedowns. He's pretty crafty. He's got some really dangerous chokes, and I could see him locking that up somewhere in the second half of the fight. Um, I'm giving the ever so slightest edge to Saldana, but... I would yeah. not be surprised if Griffin submits him if he can get him down. I just I haven't seen much footage of Saldana on the ground, and I haven't seen him defending takedowns yet. Yeah, so we're more or less the same here. So we'll see if this fight ends up playing in. Yep. Um, and leave it because I'm sure. I mean, I'll be. It's possible anything can happen. It happened a couple weeks ago, but maybe maybe we get fi- uh, we get 15 fights. But that'll that'll do it. Do you want to run down our uh, our picks? Sure. Uh, my first pick was Marvin Vittori. Second, Joe Selecki. Third, I took Jorgen DeCastro. My fourth pick was Mackenzie Dern. Fifth, I chose Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, Mateos Gamro was my sixth pick. And finally, Impa Kasanganai. Your first pick was Julian Marquez. Second, you took Jack Shore. Third, Norma Dumont. Fourth, pick for you was uh, da, uh i'm sorry william knight your fifth pick was sodik yusuf sixth you took ignacio bahaman mondes and your final pick was aliashkab kizriev which i'm sure i could have pronounced uh, more correctly if i tried but i didn't nick i just I didn't. So we got uh, actually a pretty decent card coming up next week. Uh, Whitaker Gastelum is in the main event. Mirror Charts fighting Fabinski, which isn't anything to be excited about. Um, 
Alexander Romanoff is coming back. Drakkar Close, Jeremy Stevens is a good fight. Parker Porter's coming back. I like that guy. Although he's fighting Chase Sherman, who's a tough out. Tracy Cortez is coming back against Justin Keish. Yeah. Oh, Luis action fights. Jakar, Jakar yeah. Close, Jeremy Stevens. That's right. Romanov Espino for the, you know, that, a fight between heavyweight, uh, heavyweight up-and-coming prospects. That's real interesting. That's right. Gravely's uh, coming back against Anthony Burchank. Uh, we've got uh, Bill Algio, that kid that's uh, recently made his UFC debut. I think he's I think he's two and zero in the UFC, or did he lose? No, he lost to uh, uh, Ricardo Lamas in a super super close fight, uh, fading yeah. off with uh, Ricardo Ramos. Ramos is a talented guy, obviously a big step up for him. And then we've got Jessica Pena, who is hopefully finally going to be come, making her comeback to the UFC here. Oh, Razak Al Hassan is fighting. Uh, Robert Whitaker's training partner, Jacob Malkoon, who unfortunately had to make his UFC debut against Phil Hawes. So, you know, it's not as good of a card as this one. It doesn't have the major names on it like did that pay-per-view UFC 260, but Whitaker, Galvin, Gastelum, sign me up for that. Romanoff being there, uh, a couple of these other names you mentioned, uh, I think there's a lot to look forward to there. But again, I'm psyched for this weekend. I think it's a fantastic card, and I'm glad uh, they're stepping it up for ABC. Yeah, the fun week. I don't. I hope. Kind of hope that they don't have Mir Shark Fabinski in the co-main event, which kind of looks like is the case now. I'd much rather see Jakar. I feel like Jakar close Jeremy Stevens or the Juan Espino Alexander Romanov would be a better, uh, a better fit for that spot. But we'll, yeah, I uh, couldn't. We'll I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. There's a decent chance that uh, Fabinski Mirchard ends up being pretty boring. So wouldn't be the best leeway. But there's very little chance I think of the main event being boring. Whitaker Gashlam is going to be exciting. I look forward to researching that and getting into, into it. You and I, I think, disagreed uh, a couple of years ago when they were first scheduled to fight for the middleweight title. So I'm curious how this is going to work out. Yeah, I picked Gashlam and then he almost beat Adesanya, but hasn't been hasn't fully been the same since. So we'll see. No, he, but, he uh, did yeah, look great car, in his last, last UFC about them. He, did, I mean, he did against a lesser opponent compared True. to his, you know. But uh, anyway, let's see. Finally, we've got a good Italian fighter in Marvin Vittori. Let's see if he wins this, and I, I would think this would put him one fight away from a title shot. Yeah, I, I even think like if he can finish, which for him is not frequent, right? For him to finish opponents, and his opponents hard to finish Holland, but if he can finish, he can absolutely make a call out for the title, and I think he has a good shot. Like what? legitimate contenders do we have coming up right now that are definitely up for the billing uh, just about uh, nobody victory is it if, yeah, if he can I finish mean, cost, with a statement uh, i mean i think the winner of the winner of whitaker gastelum will be nicely positioned but out, outside of that um it would be you would think you would have to do you would you would have to do vittori brunson yeah um but but again like like if you think about it right you can overstep either of those two guys both guys lost to adesanya uh, fairly decisively, especially toward the end of the fight with Gashlam, uh, and if he can look good. Oh yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. He Vittori did not lose decisively to Adesanya. He, exactly. Um, oh yeah, that's a good yeah. point. All three of those guys have lost to Adesanya. Adesanya really has cleared out the the division, and very curious, I think, how he's going to look when he comes back following his first MMA loss. Yeah, should be good. Well, my friend, we'll find out on Saturday. Oh, I don't also uh, for for our listeners. I believe that this card. Let me check it real quick. I gotta go back. Yeah, it's at I think three in the afternoon. Is it noon? Uh, yeah, yeah. The undercard. The undercard starts at twelve. 